Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Will scab workers be used during the HSR strike? I also talk about the commercial growth in Hamilton. Grey Cup week begins. The carbon tax election, holiday spending trends, and cuffing season is here. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well, as the HSR strike continues in Hamilton... There are some union leaders who are promising to prevent the city from using scabs. This city thinks that they are going to be able to bring in scabs to move people to that tournament. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to block that. We are not moving. There is not going to be people in the stands that are going to be on a bus that is not driven by ATU members with the right wages. The city of Hamilton, however, hasn't publicly given any indication that replacement workers will be an option. The city had nothing to do uh, with what uh, what Metrolinx uh, has, has decided to undertake. It has nothing to do with the city, uh, and, um, and I want people to know that. It's important. Uh, it's important for the transit workers who are striking, uh, This the uh, ATU Workers 107, uh, but it's also important for the people of Hamilton to know we are a labor town. And I want to tell you all, as the mayor of the city, uh, that it is absolutely not true that we have anything to do with the decisions that Metrolinx is making. That uh, latter voice was the voice of Mayor Andrea Horvath, who was commenting on the Grey Cup shuttle plan between Hamilton and Niagara Falls, in which buses, shuttle buses, will be used to transport fans to and fro in and so this whole kind of conversation begs the question, is this a talk of scabs, just union rhetoric, or are replacement workers actually being considered? Eric Tuck is the president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 107 and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Eric, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning, Rick. Pleasure as always. Has the city proposed using replacement workers to drive HSR buses? So, so the reality, Rick, is they know that uh, we normally transport TICAP fans and uh, uh, CFL fans to and from the games. We've done that all year long, uh, year after year. This year, uh, because they knew our contract was up, uh, I have no doubt that the city has worked with Metrolinx to contract those shuttle buses out. And for us, that is, uh, that is a serious infraction of using scab labour. So would those buses or shuttles have been driven by ATU Local 107 members? Yes, yeah, so normally we would uh, be, be running shuttles from the malls. You know, all you have to do is look back at any great couple we've ever run. Uh, HSR has run shuttle buses from all of the malls or from the key locations. If we have guests coming from out of town, we'd be running the shuttles from the GO station, the Waterfront GO station, uh, or Hunter Street GO station, wherever they were coming into. Uh, even the airport, if we have uh, you know pass, uh, fans coming in from Winnipeg or Montreal flying in, we would be running shuttles from the airport. That's work that we've always done traditionally, and uh, it's a no different this year. Uh, we should be running those shuttles as well. Well, the difference in this case is those Metrolinx, you know, provincial agency kind of shuttles are coming from Niagara Falls into Hamilton. So are those scab workers? So, so no, anything coming from out of town, uh, driving directly from out of town into the uh, the city would not be targeted. We're talking about the shuttle buses running from parking lots, from malls, or from the uh, connections with the uh, uh, GO Transit uh, trains. And so, as far as you know, those shuttles are still being operated, but not being driven by AT Local 107 members. 
Correct. We know that that work has been contracted out to Attridge. We'll be sending Attridge a letter today uh, notifying them that we intend to shut those buses down. What do you think their response is going to be? Uh, I, I don't really care. At the end of the day, uh, that's work we normally would be doing, and we will be targeting those buses. Let's get into negotiations. Are they even happening? No, there's been no discussions. Uh, we've reached out to the mayor several times with no response. Um, you know, uh, Ultimately, that's what we'd like to see. Get back to the bargaining table. Let's get this settled. This isn't just about the Grey Cup. Let's face it. Uh, we've got businesses that are struggling, just getting back on their feet from COVID. We have uh, student exams coming up for the universities and the colleges. We've got colder weather coming. We've got a lot of precarious workers that rely on our transportation every day. And that's the ones I feel sorry for. And that this, the fact that this city is not willing to sit down and bargain uh, is a show that they really don't care. We're five days into this work stoppage. No new talks are scheduled. In fact, no talks have happened since the strike began. Are you surprised or did you expect this? No, I expected the city to dig in on, uh, you know, the mayor says that well, they're, they're committed to pattern bargaining. And that's fine for them to say they're committed to pattern bargaining, but they've never negotiated that with us. Uh, when you talk about pattern bargaining, you usually talk about uh, industries that are of the same nature. For example, the auto industry, the healthcare industry, the education. Uh, that's where you have pattern bargaining. Uh, you know, when you talk about QP and, and uh, secretary, cemetery workers, uh, water treatment workers, they don't, re- they're not the same as transit workers. We are, we are two different animals and we do not, uh, we have never agreed to pattern bargaining. So the mayor needs to get off that and needs to understand that we are a different uh, union and we have the right to negotiate our own and bargain our own uh, contract. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Eric Tuck, president of the Amalgamated Transit Union, local 106. Seven, uh, in st- still a work stoppage situation when it comes to HSR buses in town. Uh, the final offer from the city, according to Mayor Andrea Horvath, was the final offer. Sh- should there be some wiggle room, though? Absolutely. That's How else can you have bargaining if you're not willing to move off your position? Uh, anytime you have two parties at odds, they have to move. Uh, in order to get a resolution. We're more than prepared to move off of our position, but the city needs to move off of theirs and understand that this is a bargaining process. If she truly understands and is committed to the bargaining process, then follow it. Two parties sit down and both of them have to make uh, concessions to get to, to where they need to be. If the city stands firm and is not moving off that final offer, how long and how long are your members prepared to stay out off the job for? So my members have made it very clear there there's great resolve. When you get a mandate of 94%, that is a hard mandate. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, as long as it takes to get a fair deal. Eric, as always, thank you for the time. Enjoy the day and good luck. Thank you. Eric Have Tuck. a good day, Eric. You too. Eric Tuck is the president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 107. Listen, when these two sides head back to the bargaining table, we will let you know about it and we'll certainly let you know what comes of it. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I'm on X virtually every day, just kind of searching what's happening, whether that's, you know, X or Instagram or TikTok, you know, the social media scene. There's a lot of negativity. I'll admit there's a lot of negativity on social media, but there are some pretty interesting things as well and some pretty cool videos and, you know, funny things sat there. I mean, you name it, it's on social. And so the other day I was, you know, perusing X as I normally do just to see what's going on. Who's saying what? And I came across a tweet 
or a post, whatever they're calling it on X these days, from a Hamilton counselor who says new commercial growth is the biggest issue facing Hamilton, not homelessness, climate change, or social services. So I thought, wow, this is a pretty interesting topic. John Poldenko is that counselor. He is in Ward 8 and is with the city of Hamilton, of course, and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. John Paul, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing really well today. So let's dive into this. Commercial growth, bigger than homelessness, which is a big issue, climate change, which is a global issue, social services. What What is leading you down this path? Well, as a, as a city, uh, right now, Hamilton obviously has many, many challenges. So those ones that you mentioned, climate change, homelessness, social services, also just our regular day-to-day operation of the city, fixing the roads, you know, operating rec centers, that kind of thing. Everything that we do as a city costs money, of course. Our only source of money as a city is through property taxes. So we have kind of two pools of property tax. The first, everybody knows, their residential property tax bill. Um, but we also have a pool of, of taxes that come in from um, commercial and industrial uses. So that's business. And historically, if you think about the city of Hamilton at the turn of the century through to you know the 60s and 70s, our city was founded and built on the wealth of large industry, commercial and industrial growth. All of the infrastructure that we rely on today, uh, the many of the buildings, the 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 services that we rely on, the population that is even here was based on that industrial um, growth and all of the taxes that they paid uh, to the city of Hamilton. If you think about it, the collapse of that sector, you know, Stelco and DeFasco are the ones that people refer to quite often, um, how diminished they are now from what they were. But also all the industries that we no longer even have here, like Studebaker or International Harvester, Dominion Glass, Procter & Gamble, uh, Westinghouse. The loss of the revenue from that level of industry then got shifted onto residential taxpayers, which is where we are today. And because of that, every time when there's a new pressure for a municipality, like you know climate change is, is, or, or homelessness or whatever it may be, we don't have any flexibility because we are relying on residential taxpayers and not on that uh, commercial industrial uh, tax base. Do you have a sense of how big of a loss that has been from those businesses that you mentioned that are no longer around? We've got to be talking in the billions of dollars, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And, and over the years, it's left a, an interesting legacy because the loss of that tax revenue, you know, that that, that built a lot of the infrastructure that's in the ground right now that we are now required to maintain. But instead of having the commercial industrial tax base that we were relying on that paid for it in the first place, you know, now we're relying on residential taxpayers to pay for operation maintenance. And our, our infrastructure deficit alone is in the billions of dollars. So yeah, it is absolutely enormous. Do you know what the percentage difference is when it comes to the residential tax base and the taxes we collect from commercial industrial? Is it a 50-50 split or is it much greater than that? The the taxes that we collect from uh, residential, or sorry, for business uh, uses, so industrial and commercial, are significantly higher than what residents pay. So for every new dollar of, of industrial commercial taxes that we have, um, it takes several dollars away from what we were, would otherwise rely on residential taxpayers for. 
We've had in this community $2 billion worth of building permits this year. And that n- not necessarily uh, just suggests that that's all going to commercial and industrial. But is that a good sign that we're getting to that commercial growth or do we still have a long way to go? It was actually a really bright spot in last year's budget that wasn't really talked about very much. And we did see a fairly substantial uh, shift in growth in the commercial industrial tax base. So there are some you know, good news there in the budget. And that $2 billion in, in building permits, are a huge record for the city of Hamilton, is definitely a growth area of, uh, of revenue for the city. But also areas, you know, specifically what triggered this discussion was the uh, the airport employment and growth lands with uh, historic tenants like Cargo Jet. Hamilton Airport is the largest cargo airport in the country, 24 that's in 24-7 operation. And we've seen just recently some of those jobs and, and development starting to materialize at the airport with hundreds of millions of dollars in new investment on its way. And, it, and it's not just warehouse jobs like Amazon. It's also technology and, um, and training like KF Air Aerospace that actually fixes airplanes and employs uh, students from Mohawk College. So there's a lot of really good news in Hamilton right now. Also, of course, the slate lands on the former Stelco site um, we're looking at 23,000 new jobs and hundreds of millions of dollars in new private investment coming to the city of Hamilton, which would be larger than steelmaking at its peak. And beyond just the tax revenue from that, of course, that, that's jobs. That's, that's good-paying new jobs for Hamilton residents. We talk a lot about our growth pressures from um, population increase and where all those people are going to live, but they also need somewhere to work. And I think there's some really good news uh, on the horizon in that term. Yeah, we definitely want them to work in town and spend their money in town as opposed to uh, going and having to commute uh, elsewhere. Uh, Councillor Danko, we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate your time this morning. Anytime. Thanks for having me. And it's Ward 8 Councillor John Paul Danko, City of Hamilton, again saying that new commercial growth is the biggest issue facing Hamilton, not homelessness, climate change, or social services. And you know, there's a great point in that when you're looking at your municipal tax bill and thinking, listen, if there was another big player or two or three or more in this community that is paying a bigger share of tax, that's going to be fewer tax dollars that are coming out of your pocket. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, we can't wait for Bombers and Alouettes. Tim Hortonsfield, this Sunday night and even before the game, there are so many things planned in and around the city. What can fans and what can visitors and what can tourists to Hamilton and the Niagara region expect? Well, let's bring on an expert in this field, actually in a few fields. His name is Neil Lumsden, Minister of Tourism, Culture and Sport, PCMPP for Hamilton East Stony Creek, and a Canadian Football Hall of Famer as well. Neil, good morning. How are you? Uh, fabulous. It's it, You know, you're just listening to what this week is going to be about and then ending up on Sunday. Just as a fan, it's it's going to be incredible. Absolutely. Now, you were a player back in the day. You you won four Grey Cups, three with Edmonton, one as a GM with the Ticats in 99, by the way, their last championship. W- was Grey Cup week for you a blur as a player? <laughs> did, did it go by faster? Did it go by slower than a normal week during the season? Well, no, it, it, that's a great question because a lot of people, we talk about Grey Cup, and I had the, the good fortune of being a fan later on in uh, sort of after playing and after being involved with the Tire Cats on the executive side. But as a player, it really is, it's, 
you know, the old expression, and there's a bunch of, you know, you got to pack a briefcase for going on a business trip or not going on a fun trip. Mm-hmm. And r- really the only time I, I can think of that it was social other than having our families there because our families would, would fly in the couple of days before the game would be the player awards where we'd all, you know, as a team show up. And so, uh, most of the time we'd have the likes of a Warren Moon or a Kepler or Danny Bass or somebody up for awards. And it would be social at night, but it, but when the event's over, it's over for us. We'd go back to the hotel and we'd get ready to get to work on Sunday. So it was a very different. And it, it Rick, you're right. It it went quick. It uh, it was um, we we try to keep it as normal as possible, and that's certainly what the coaches and the organization tried to do. It, no, there's a lot of new stuff. It's a road trip, but you're there much earlier than normal. You want to stay in your routine is what they want you to do. So when the game time comes along, there's, you know, you, you feel very natural instead of disrupted. From a fan perspective, it's going to be a lot of fun because you get to partake in all the other extra stuff that the players obviously oh, aren't going yeah. to be able to do. But, and there's so much to do this week. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, it's um, when I when I dig down, and and one of the great things about doing what I'm doing now and being able to participate, and certainly in my hometown of Hamilton, is to ha- have that. You you mentioned at the outset the tourism piece. The one thing about the CFL, and there's a lot of great things, but I remembered very clearly back in the day, and I still see it regularly that great cup CFL fans travel really well. Whether you're in the game or you're not in the game, they love coming to the game. Uh, it's very social. There's so many things going on. I mean, you know, Tigertown and sort of, the, for me, the spirit of Edmonton for years has been such a big event. And and it just becomes, you know, I, I mean, over the years, I've bumped into people that just go to the events and can't get a ticket to the game because they see their their friends from across the country that they haven't seen in years. And the other thing that amazed me, Rick, is that um, – and I, re- I remember this from a couple of years ago when, when the Great Cup was shrunk down and the COVID thing was going on, and, and I was at the Spirit of Edmonton, and it was a very small event by comparison. And, you know, there people come up and say, oh, yeah, I've been doing this for 25 years. Oh, 15 years. I've been bringing my kid for 10 years, and I've been doing it for 30. It's a, it's a regular um, message that you get, which means now for me it's great that these thousands of people will be coming into our marketplace, including Niagara, and staying for not just Saturday and Sunday, but, you know, Wednesday night they'll arrive, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, and then the game day on Sunday. So those sorts of things, you know, make me smile across the board because it's a CFO is alive and doing really well from a television and certainly from an attendance perspective, but that it's driving people into into Hamilton, and there's going to be so much to do, and, you know, the Fan Central thing that starts on Thursday and runs right through to Sunday. I mean, from 8 a.m., or uh, I'm sorry, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. on James Street North. I mean, who does that? And I think, you know, the Tire Cats or the organized, the Great Cup Committee has set a really, really high bar for the next host of the Great Cup. Yeah, this is this is an exciting precedent for sure, and I know BC's on the docket for next year, and mm-hmm. other cities are going to look at what's happening in Hamilton and say, wow, we got to do that too, because now it almost becomes an expectation from a fan perspective. Joining us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Neil Lumsden. He's the Minister of Tourism, Culture, and Sports, PC MPP for Hamilton East Stony Creek, and a Canadian Football Hall of Famer in the class of 2014, also the most outstanding Canadian in the 1981 Grey Cup. By the way, a full list of the events online at Grey Cup Festival 
www.niagararegional.ca. And you mentioned Niagara Region, and this is what I find really unique, is that most of them, I mean, 99.9% of the time, it's one city hosting the Grey Cup. Niagara's involved from the CFL Awards perspective and from a, uh, a shuttling perspective that fans can stay in Niagara, utilize that hotel space, shuttle in for free to and from Hamilton uh, during the festival and during the game, which is outstanding. Uh, incorporating this aspect into the Grey Cup as the Minister of Tourism, you must be ecstatic. Yeah, I was pretty excited when I heard about it uh, a couple of months back that that's what um, Hamilton Sports Group was thinking, and it really turns it into a regional event. Not that people wouldn't have come to begin with from uh, that area, whether it's St. Catharines, Niagara, but when you take a player awards, and it's also going to elevate their player awards at OLG stage, uh, you know, there's a reception beforehand, there's a concert afterwards. I, it really does set the bar back where I think it used to be where the awards were a big deal. Of course, TSN was going to be involved um, as as the host broadcaster. They'll be there. And, I, I, you know, it's it's a big deal for players. It's the one time whether you're, you're playing in the game or you're not playing a game. And the whole idea is, listen, Rick, you know as well as anybody because you've been around sport for a long, long time. It's about winning. But if you can't win or before you get the opportunity to compete to win, it's great to be able to go to something like the Player Awards and be recognized um, for your accomplishments, even though that's the second piece of which, why you're doing what you're doing. But the fact is, it's celebrating the, the game and the players in the games. And it, and it should be at a high level. And I think that's what this regional piece does. It reaches out and it's a, you know it embraces and it pulls the community in. And, and you know selfishly, I think, you know, for years, I know people in that region would go to Sabres games uh, instead of going into Toronto. Well, in this case, we're pulling those, fan, those sports fans closer to us in the Canadian Football League and in Hamilton. And not that they need any help staging home games, but just <laughs> embracing the game and extending your arms out to minor football is another big reach. And I think that it's just going to go a long way to celebrate at this time of year when you know, we, we could use a little bit, a bit of celebrating all, all in all and, and, and raise the level of these awards. And, you know, there's a lot going on in Niagara Falls. I mean, they've got an awful lot to offer. So, again, going in early, the shuttle makes it so much easier to go back and forth. You don't have to worry about driving yourself or taking a cab. It's just, uh, it's really really a smart plan that they put into place. And aside from the big game, there's going to be hard to pick out a highlight because there's so many great things oh. going on. If it's the halftime show, the Carrie Underwood concert, yeah, the CFL Awards in Niagara Falls, Fan Central on James, it's going to be a lot of fun. Neil, we'll have to leave it there. Have fun uh, this week and uh, hope to see you soon. I, I appreciate the time and it may be a pretty good game too. <laughs> <laughs> it could be that as well. That's always the highlight yeah. too. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Rick. Neil Lumsden is the Minister of Tourism, Culture and Sport, PCMPP for Hamilton East Stony Creek, Canadian Football Hall of Famer. All the details of the Grey Cup Festival online, greycupfestival.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Two motions on the carbon tax in the House of Commons over the last week or so from opposition parties have both been defeated, which is very interesting because this is a hot topic, yet neither of them could push their motion through. And some party leaders, including Conservative leader Pierre Polyev, says the next federal election will be the carbon tax election. Will it? Maya Papineau is an associate professor in the Department of Economics at Carleton University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Maya, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. I'm good. Thanks. Uh, as you know, carbon tax is a hot topic. It, it's interesting, though, that these political parties in opposition 
aren't able to get their motions through the door, which which might make people think, you know, this carbon tax thing might be a good thing when they get their rebate. Although when they go to the, the gas pump, they might be thinking, you know, I really hate this carbon tax. The the public perception of this tax is what? what, what what's your sense? I think Canadians have mostly accepted that the carbon tax is one of the key ways Canada is going to meet its climate targets. It's economically speaking, it's the most cost efficient way to meet our targets without uh, hitting households pocketbooks too much. And there's a small exemption that was passed for heating oil, but heating oil is a very small part of the economy. So fundamentally, the carbon tax has been maintained for most of the economy. And I think it's something that should stay in place. And I think Canadian households will mostly agree with that. Yeah, from the home heating oil perspective, a lot of people in Atlantic Canada rely on that type of heating to to heat their homes. And all these other party leaders are saying, hey, you know, this is a divisive issue because, you know, us in Alberta or BC or somewhere in Ontario, we, we don't use this. Open it up to all home heating fuels, which in a sense makes some sense. But from an economic standpoint, there's a lot of confusion over carbon price, the carbon tax, carbon credits. Uh, can you boil it down for us on, on how this works? Sure. So when it comes to heating oil, the carbon tax, first of all, is imposed on fossil fuel, goods that have fossil that need fossil fuels, fuels to be produced. And it's applied on these goods based on how many fossil fuels are used. So when it comes to heating oil, heating oil is the most carbon intensive way to heat your home amongst all the different ways that Canadians heat their homes. And it has always been one of the most expensive ways to heat your home, even before the carbon tax was imposed. And so now that the carbon tax has been imposed, it's been rising over time. Uh, this isn't with the backdrop of rising inflation. And so for the 3% of homes in Canada that do use heating oil at the moment, they are getting uh, bill shock. And so that's the reason why this very small exemption was passed. But when you're expanding that, when you're considering about other types of home heating, for example, natural gas, which over 50% of Canadian homes use to heat, and that's uh, a less carbon intensive fuel, and it is a much less expensive way to heat your home. So that's not going to hit households' pocketbooks as much. And again, when it comes to other alternatives such as uh, carbon credits, tax credits, there's other ways to meet our targets. Uh, the, the best approach is really a yes and approach. So maintain a, a broad based carbon tax and where warranted, if there's other barriers or credit constraints facing households, you can add other policies and programs on top of that. And that's just going to be the best way to, to meet our targets, again, in the most cost efficient way. As an associate professor in the Department of Economics at Carleton University, from an economic standpoint, is a carbon tax a good thing overall for the economy? Absolutely, it is. And it, you know, you, you noted this before, you alluded to it, it not only enables us to meet our targets in the most cost efficient way, but it also generates revenue that the government can then rebate to households. And most other options don't do that. Households get several hundred dollars a year uh, on a quarterly basis back in, in, in direct payments to their bank accounts because of the carbon tax revenue that's generated. And so for most the stats I've seen, more than half of households actually get more back in their rebates than they pay extra 
for the carbon tax. So all in all, I think it's it's really the way forward to meet our targets. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Maya Papadone, Associate Professor in the Department of Economics at Carleton University. We're talking about the carbon tax in this country. There are some sectors of the economy, I'm thinking about farming in particular, where we've heard a lot of people griping about the carbon tax. It doesn't work for them. It is costing them money to operate their farms. Is there some truth to that? So, yeah, I have looked into that a little bit. There was one exemption that was uh, voted down for uh, heating uh, on farms during the the winter. And, uh, you know, I haven't looked into the specifics of exactly how expensive it is. If that exemption would have passed, it would have been a very small exemption similar to the heating oil exemption. Now, one thing I would point out is probably a better way to do this rather than poking holes in in the carbon tax, which kind of risks this domino effect of sector by sector, you know, exemption here, exemption there. Uh, An incentive-based approach could help as well. So there's uh, output-based incentives that have been suggested for certain industries, especially industries that face competitive pressures from the U.S. or uh, other countries outside of Canada. Uh, And so an alternative could be to offer targeted support to to certain sectors. And that's something that uh, on certain grounds could be um, justified economically. Maya, great uh, insight. Thanks for joining us this morning and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Maya Papineau is an associate professor in the Department of Economics at Carleton University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's talk a little Christmas shopping. Have you begun your Christmas shopping? My mom and uh, her sister, my aunt, are going to be hitting the malls. Charge it. Remember the old Flintstones episode? I'm sure that is going to be in the cards. And it sounds like a lot of Canadians are in that boat. And it appears the latest surveys are showing that we're going to spend overall more compared to last year. I I thought we were kind of pinching pennies. Paul Anacek is the vice president's licensed insolvency trustee at BDO Debt Solutions and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Paul, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Rick. And I knew that time of year was coming because I saw some of the neighbors putting up their Christmas lights this weekend. So, yeah, it's definitely approaching. The uh, Yeah, the countdown to Christmas is on, and with now just six weeks to go, the busiest shopping season is officially ramping up. And, you know, we're starting to see surveys regarding how much money Canadians are planning to spend. Uh, Paul, what are these surveys showing us? Rick, we've been seeing several surveys to date uh, regarding consumers and what they're planning to spend, uh, really to make their season merry and bright. And I have to say, whether it's more or less this year, it really depends on the survey. The Retail Council of Ontario is always first out with their holiday poll, and it was actually released back in October. And according to their survey, Canadians are projected to spend $898 this season. That is up from last year at $782. And according to their survey, 80% will be spent on gifts for others. The CPA of Canada, they released their annual uh, survey this last week, and it reveals that consumers are ready to spend on average you know, $645, but that's an increase from last year as well. Concerning about this survey, 29% admit they're willing to take on debt funding their festivus season. Now, BMO just came out this last week, and this one actually differs from everyone else. According to BMO, 78% of consumers plan to trim their holiday spending from last year. 45% 
you know, plan to purchase fewer gifts with one quarter cutting back on gifts by, you know, reducing the number of people they plan to gift this year. 40% plan to reduce by uh, buying less gifts and one third plan on reducing by spending by making fewer big purchase. Now I want to point out, even though that these surveys are different when it comes to how much that consumers are going to spend, one thing we ha all have in common is awareness around the mounting costs of holiday season due to inflation. And because of all this, you know, shoppers are planning to be more proactive when it comes to savings, and they're going to really try to make their money go further. Well, that makes a lot of sense, no doubt about that. And with, you know, we've heard that so many people are struggling financially that a budget obviously will definitely help sticking to it. And, and it may be harder because the emotion of the season, especially with everything costing more, what advice do you have for listeners on how they can stick to that budget? Rick, you're 100% there. You know, according to stats, nearly 40% of Canadians went over budget last season, including 41% here in Ontario. And yes, you know, I know the feeling as well when you have that budget. But, you know, to get avoid going over your budget, I encourage your listeners, you know, use debit instead of credit if you can. No credit card, you know, buy a prepaid visa. At least with a prepaid visa, you have a certain amount on there. Also, avoid spending more than your credit card, you know, then you can afford to pay off the following month. You know, we normally try and say that throughout this year, but we're kind of really stressing it, especially this year. Also, use your rewards, loyalty points to pay for holiday expenses. That's one of our household favorite things to do. And it actually works out great, especially with the online shopping. There's also a number of different things you can do. You know, plan your purchases, have a clear idea of what you're looking for. Get out early. You know, search for the best deals. You know, use the internet in your favor there. Avoid those last-minute shoppings. And those last-minute shoppings are the ones that lead to the impulse, overspending, and taking on debt. Avoid spending hours and hours online. You know, there's you know, oversaturate yourself. And always implement the 24-hour rule when it comes to big purchases and expenses. What that means is if you want to purchase it, give yourself 24 hours to think about it because you might have that sober second thought in the morning. Good idea to avoid the buy now, pay later offers. Why so? You know, the reason is if you can't afford to pay it now, the chances you're not going to be able to afford it when the holiday season comes. And a lot of people experience that because, you know, they go over their budget. And a lot of times that big purchase is one of the first ones they're looking for. And what they're going to have is a little bit regret. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is have holiday regret. Number three, number of things with that, you know, the bill comes in and all of a sudden you're really, you know, stressed about paying it. And also that when the bill comes in, sometimes the gift might not even be used. So again, that could be the frustrating part. Absolutely. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Paul Anachik, Vice President, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Debt Solutions. We're talking about uh, the holiday spending period. The holiday shopping period is now on and how you should be uh, trying to, well, trim your holiday budget, at least in terms of those expenses. Uh, some tips and advice coming up uh, still with Paul. And, you know, a big part of the festive season, as you know, Paul, is getting together with family and friends. And that brings up the importance of being aware of festive FOMO, that fear of missing out and the pressure that it presents for many when it comes to spending at this time of the year. What advice do you have for avoiding festive FOMO? Well, Rick, uh, festive FOMO really has already started. As I mentioned, I saw the neighbors putting up the lights on the weekend and you're seeing it at all the stores right now. Uh, so everyone's really, you know, trying to get in a uh, 
really the spirit to avoid festive mo- mo- FOMO and the debt that might come with it. Remember, those social media posts don't tell the entire story. You know, while you're seeing the gifts, the gatherings, and so on, you're not seeing the credit card balances or the statements that come with it, with those foam, with those um, really photos. You know, choose the festivities that you really want to attend. Realize that, you know, you're not maybe going to be able to attend everything, and not everything is within your budget. And the other thing is disconnect. Take a holiday away from social media. You know what? We forget about it. It's okay to put your phone down nowadays. It's okay to turn off your social media app. After all, it's the holiday season. So take a look around at your loved ones and actually have a conversation instead of just texting them. Yeah, that's a good one. What uh, final advice do you have for our listeners today? Well, there's a lot of financial uncertainty right now. High inflation, rising interest rates, and the looming recession have many left many people feeling anxious about their finances. The holiday season, really, it's important. But it's also important to keep in mind this time of year that, you know, you should really be about your experiences for those that matter with your family and friends, not expenses. Remember, it should be about who's around your tree and not what's under it. You know, for those that are struggling with that right now, that are already feeling the stress because of Christmas, because of their debt, you know, you might need support. You might need to reach out. And remember, at BDO, we're here to help and we're here to listen. So give us a call at one 855 Debt or visit our website at bdodebt.ca to schedule a free confidential appointment to talk about your debt strategies. Paul, as always, appreciate the time and uh, happy shopping. Thank you, Rick. Have a great <laughs> week. You too, Paul Anacek, Vice President, Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Cuffing season. We talked about this actually a couple of years ago. I thought it was last year at this time. It was two years ago at this time. And because apparently now is the time for cuffing season. Probably thinking, what the heck is cuffing season? Well, this, this is a time, time of the year, those cold autumn and winter months when those who are looking for love enter into a, a romantic relationship. Wanting, needing, waiting for you to justify my love. Suddenly got steamy up in here. Woo! HelloFresh conducted a recent survey and found that 51% of singles they heard from are looking for a match this fall. Okay, let's turn down the heat a little bit. (laughs) We get it. The HelloFresh survey also reveals the fifth date is normally when couples go from casual to a committed relationship. It seems kind of soon, no? Five dates? Uh, More often than not, this happens because of a homemade meal, which is very interesting. But you might want to stay away from serving a spicy triple bean burrito for dinner. Peter, last night was amazing. Oh, when I farted the Pledge of Allegiance? Yeah, I tell you, things got a little dicey there on Indivisible. You really don't remember? 
Wow, that hypnosis works. Well, I gotta get in the shower. You know, because of that indivisible part. Yeah, not a good sign. Stay away from the triple bean burrito. Uh, With cuffing season in mind, the HelloFresh survey revealed some pretty interesting things. Cooking for a date can be intimate. And some say more intimate than what happens in the bedroom. And you know what? I can subscribe to that because if you're cooking for a date, let's just say it's date number five. You know, you have this individual over to your house and you're making something for them. There's some pressure that goes along with that. Are they going to like it? Do they like this type of food? What if I goof up? What if I add too much of a certain ingredient? There's a lot of pressure cooking for somebody. Finding recipes that are easy to execute and delicious can also be hard and overwhelming. Well, absolutely, that's 100% right. You know, you have someone special over on date 5 or 10 or whatever the case is. You want to impress them with your cooking ability, if you, if you have any. <laughs> and if you goof on a hard recipe, ah, there, there's, as I said, there's a lot of pressure in doing that. This HelloFresh survey also found that finding easy ways to cook dinner is the ultimate solve. Now, don't go for the prepackaged, you know, mac and cheese. But I will say this, you, you can't go wrong with pasta or salad, throw in some garlic bread. I mean, that's a pretty good trifecta right there. Hello Survey, HelloFresh Survey also found that 55% of respondents said it would take at least three dates to feel comfortable going to someone else's home for a date. But 34% would be comfortable hosting their date at home before that. I get that. You're, you're comfortable hosting and you wouldn't mind going to the other person's home. By date number three, though, that seems a little quick to me, doesn't it? Already visiting their house? Eh, maybe not. Maybe not. Listen, I've been out of the dating game for a while, so I, the, I'm not the person to ask on this. But I'm reflecting on these stats from this HelloFresh survey. Scuffing season is underway. How about this one? 56% of those who are single or dating said they'd feel pressure to impress someone by cooking well if they were having them over for a date. Of course, if you're making something, you want to make it right. I mean, the worst thing possible is, hey, come over for dinner. We're going to have a great dinner. I'm going to make this, that, and the other thing. And then it just doesn't turn out. And then you're sitting at the dinner table and you're like, eh, sorry, I I suck. That, that didn't go off well. <laughs> that didn't go off. As well as I had hoped. A surprising 47% of millennials and Gen Z, according to this survey, believe that cooking for a partner can be more intimate than sex. Okay, I'm not sure what these people are cooking, but eh, maybe. Maybe that's so. One in seven believe that the ability to cook is one of the most attractive traits a partner can have. Along with loyalty at 52%, honesty at 50%. You know, I thought one in seven was actually kind of low. If you are with someone and they can cook, hold on to that person. Especially nowadays, when fewer and fewer people are actually cooking at home. Boy, if you have that talent and you're knocking out of the park, uh, get get to the jewelry store in a hurry, gentlemen. (laughs) That's my advice for you. Here's another one uh, back to this HelloFresh survey. 30% said that cooking a meal for one another is one of the top important milestones at the start of a relationship. Again, there's that, there's that pressure that goes along with it. If you, even if you goof up, I think that the, the conversation that you have after the meal or during the meal, that's an important part of this process. 
Because, I mean, you're really opening yourself up to another person by cooking them a meal, right? Uh, other important milestones include saying, I love you. Well, obviously, yeah, for the first time, that's 52%. That's a big one. Meeting each other's family, big step there, 52%. And taking care of one another when you're sick at 43%. That's a big one, too. That is a, that's, a, that's a huge factor in a relationship. 35% admit that in their dating experience, they've looked for relationships during cuffing season, cold autumn and winter months. Well, if you are looking for love, good luck. Good luck. And if you can cook, oof, you got you to gotta leg up on the competition. I'll say that. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.